Hey, welcome. Uh, good afternoon, in a way. So good to be with you as the year gets off to a rollicking start. Uh, so, so thankful for us all to be together as we worship God and um, hear from his word and sit here and experience his spirit, bring the gospel and make it alive to our hearts. Uh, we are in the Psalms. Um, and uh, this particular psalm, this particular Sunday, is a bit special in the scheme of the month that we have together in this amazing book of songs. Um, because last year, uh, as a church, we tried something which we had never really done before, and that was we gave the year a theme. Don't worry, not a pop quiz. not going to ask you to tell us what it was. But the podcast that we used for our gospel groups was a good hint called the Gospel Fluency Podcast. Gospel Fluency was the theme of last year. In other words, it was a year for us to, as a church community, grow not only in our understanding of the gospel, that we can describe it, tell what it is, um, the good news about Jesus, but experience the gospel as it renews ourselves uh, in our inner spirits, and also in how we can speak speak it, and live it out in the everyday stuff of life. And so that was um, the theme for the year, and in our gospel groups particularly, we worked really hard to apply the gospel into a particular sphere of life, whether it's work or friendship or mental health or something like that. Uh, and it was a wonderful time um, over the last 12 months. Uh, this year, we have a new theme, and we talked about it a little bit at our annual meeting at the end of last year. Uh, this year, we want to build on the foundation we've laid of gospel fluency and focus our attention on developing missional spirituality. Missional spirituality. Uh, what is that? Well, here's a bit of a definition. Missional spirituality is a consistent missional posture and persistent missional habits, all enabled by a deepening sense of God's power and presence. As a church, we've talked about mission a whole lot since the very beginning of our life together, uh, but this is the first time where we're going to really deliberately try and link God's call for us to go out and be light in the world and God's promise to bring light, the light of Christ, and bring and fan it into flame within our hearts. Um, each January at the moment, we're spending, uh, as I said, time in a psalm. And as one writer put it, the psalms are like God's spiritual medicine cabinet. In other words, these ancient songs are balms and remedies for every condition that we might find ourselves in. They're songs of joy and triumph. They're songs of lament and grief. They're songs that provoke praise. They're songs that, songs that provoke repentance. But uh, as we begin this year, we're going to Psalm 105 because this psalm helps us not only understand what it is, but also get a vision for how we might live out a life of missional spirituality. And um, my hope is that as we go through this, it will motivate us not just to learn about today, but to activate it and focus on it through this entire year. So, um, first of all, as we go into this psalm, and I hope you have it in front of you, either on your phones or in a physical Bible, um, we're going to find out what it means to be spiritual, what it means to be missional, and the one essential ingredient that underpins them both. Got that? What it means to be spiritual, what it means to be missional, and one essential ingredient that underpins it, them both. 
So first of all, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into those three things. Father, as we come to this psalm, this beautiful song, I pray that these words would illumine our hearts and activate, Father, in us a new faith, a new knowledge, a new hope, a new longing to be your people, to be obedient to your will, and to lean into all that you have for us this year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, so, spirituality. It's a bit of a tricky term, spirituality, and I was hesitant to use it, to be honest. Why? Because it's an overused term in our day and age. Over the past 100 years, our Western society has made this really interesting cultural maneuver. Uh, on one hand, it has become vastly more secular than any age ever before it. By secular, I mean in the, in it's um, turning its back on established religions as being the place you go to find truth. Okay. So it's become vastly more secular. Um, people, most people, don't want to affiliate themselves with any major religion. The last census we had last year made it really clear as the nuns, so to speak, no religion, has been, uh, was um, vastly more, a larger percentage of our society than it was in the previous years before it. So, we're more secular. But at the same time, spirituality has never been more popular. You hear people say all the time, oh, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You're like, what does that even mean? Well, it means that from their point of view, they maintain a sense that there is something more to life than just what they can see, taste, and touch. In my experience, actually, there's very few people out there who are real, true blue atheists, as in there is no God, no spirituality, no supernatural, nothing. Very few. No, it's much more likely that someone actually does have a spirituality of some sense. They have a sense that there is something more out there. There's greater meaning, there's greater purpose to discover than just mere existence. But it's normally, this, this spirituality is um, centered on self-discovery. It's about finding your own spiritual significance in the universe rather than receiving one from God, from a religion. So commonly talk, uh, talk to people who say something like, oh, you know, I like a bit of Buddhism, some really good stuff there. Uh, I like Christian values. I uh, grew up, maybe I went to a Christian school, maybe some, there's some good stuff there as well. But I'm not a Buddhist and I'm not a Christian. Or even at a more street level, uh, this kind of spirituality is seen when people talk about putting out vibes to the universe. Or even kind of superstitious practices like knock on wood or you know, not crossing a black cat or whatever. Yeah. People still do that. Why? Because they get a sense there's something more out there. You have to live your life in a particular way that will bring back good things for you. And so why not say a prayer to the universe? Might work. It's up to the individual to cobble together a set of spiritual beliefs and convictions that work for them. There's something really attractive about that, isn't it? It's like a do-it-yourself religion. It's fantastic. There are some problems, uh, and there's one major problem, and the major problem is that it doesn't actually lead to a life of peace and joy. 
It doesn't, it can't, and here's why. Uh, it turns the individual into the God of your own religion. It has to, right? Because who is it that says what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, which way to turn? Ultimately, it's you. And that's fine as long as things work out for you, but it's a crushing weight when things don't because ultimately you only have yourself to blame. You failed at being your own God. Or actually you'll find someone else to blame and people do that too. So uh, this is not, this spirituality I'm talking about is not Christian spirituality. Although there are certainly Christian-y versions of it and sadly some of them are on the top 10 bestseller lists in Christian bookstores. That's another thing altogether. Uh, But there is a true Christian spirituality. There is true spirituality. Now, there's a few things that that's also not when it comes to the Christian life. One is that Christian spirituality is not some kind of ultra-pious life. You might get the idea that a really spiritual person is the sort of person who spends hours a day in prayer, is probably dreaming about becoming a monk or a nun or a hermit, Uh, someone who kind of floats around with an air of implacability, communing with God on some level unknown to mere plebs like you or me. Maybe that's spirituality. No, actually, no, that's not Christian spirituality. Neither is Christian spirituality about obeying all the rules. About you, know, you might think a really spiritual person, someone who's managed to get a handle on God's law and God's will, and more or less succeeds in living it out. No, actually, that's not Christian spirituality either. Yes, spirituality is linked to obeying God's commands, and we'll see that in a second. And yes, it is linked to practices like prayer. We'll see about that in a second as well. But at the essence, that's not what true spirituality is. What is it? Psalm 105 begins to tell us. Look at verses 1 to 4. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. There's a bunch of imperatives here, so things that we're meant to do. Give praise, sing, tell, glory, rejoice, look. But really, they're all summed up in this one final phrase in verse 4. Seek God's face always. Seek his face Let's just unpack that for a second. It's a strange saying, seek God's face. Does it mean literally seek his face? Surely not, because we know from the Bible that it says many times that no human being can look God in the eye and live. Uh, Moses gets pretty close, kind of sees his back, whatever that means, and comes back off the mountain, basically radioactive. So if Moses got that Yeah, it's unlikely that we're going to do that. So what does it mean then to seek God's face? Well, let's put it this way. Um, When I was a kid, uh, well, something happened to a kid that means that I get a very mild 
sense of panic. Whenever I'm in a big shop, say like Kmart, and it's almost closing time, and you know how they've got the big roller doors that come back over the, yeah? And, and you know how they like, take down like one or two of them or put them like halfway, yeah? You know what I'm talking about? So whenever that happens, my heart rate increases slightly. <laughs> the reason being was that when I was a kid, um, I was in Kmart with my mum, and it was closing time or close to, and they started to bring the shutters down, and I lost her. And I would have been, what, I don't know, 17 or eight, no, uh, <laughs> eight or nine, come on. Uh, but I lost her. And in that moment, this, the little kid inside of me went, I'm going to get stuck in here. And start thinking, well, there's a bedding section, can I, can I make a little nest or something? But no, I panicked, I panicked. And in my mind, this is, the, the doors are closing, like I've got mere seconds to find mum and be safe. And so what do you do when you're a little kid? You start looking, there's still a crowd of people looking through the crowd, looking for her, looking for her, where is she, where is she, where is she? Heart rate rising, panic, 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 panic. And then I spot her and I see her face. And her face in that moment is not just about recognition. Her face symbolizes something, doesn't it? It symbolizes safety, security, welcome, that everything is going to be okay. I am loved. And so with that comes my feelings, right? Relief, gratitude, joy, the kind of certainty that only a child can have that their presence of their parent means that everything is going to be okay. Uh, I think this maybe goes some of the way to understanding what it means to seek God's face. It means that we are like children searching for a crowd of faces in a chaotic and tumultuous world, looking for a point of connection with someone or something who will make us feel secure and loved. And as human beings, because we are prone towards idolatry, we can make that someone or something like anything, actually, and it might not work. But here, what the psalmist is telling us is that that's what it means to seek God's face. In verse 4, uh, the phrase before kind of expands on it a bit. It says, look to the Lord and his strength. Far from a spirituality that puts yourself at the center, true spirituality acknowledges moment by moment that only God is true strength. Only in his presence can be found true safety. Only in his promises can be found true security. So seek his face. I think uh, St. Augustine, um, he, he had this famous prayer that kind of, sums it up so well. It's a prayer that I pray um, a few times a month. He wrote, God, you move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. As we seek God's face, our, our hearts are restless until we latch on, until we gaze upon the truth of who God is. True spirituality is not just experiencing the goodness of God, but finding rest in the goodness of God. And it's also found in expressing praise in response. So the psalmist says, give praise to God, sing to him, tell of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. 
Spirituality is not just receiving from God, but giving to God. It's a two-way street. Receiving God's blessings and giving them back to him as praise. Acknowledging that he stands at the center, that he is king over all, that he is our loving father. So we can see how spirituality is not at its core about spiritual practices. Not the core. Yes, at the periphery, but not the core. It's not about doing the right thing and avoiding the wrong thing. Yes, spiritual practices help maintain that. You can read your Bible all day, pray all night, and still miss God's face. You could obey God's law to the letter and still miss God's heart. You know how I know that? Because the Pharisees did both those things. They missed God, actually. So spirituality is about developing and maintaining a posture of humility towards God. It's about fixing our eyes on him as the author and finisher of our faith, the center of this universe, the life force of our very being. And that's hard. You know why? Because at heart, we're selfish. And something within us always wants to turn our eyes from upwards to inwards and go, no, I am the center of life. I am the center of reality. What I say goes. And so as a Christian, spirituality has to be something that's nurtured and grown and worked on to develop habits and patterns and postures that push us upward. What do we say every Sunday or every second Sunday at Lord's Supper? Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. What do you think you're doing there? You're turning your heart from being inward to upward. So that's spirituality. That's true Christian spirituality. But spirituality is only one half of the picture um, because you need to be missional as well. What's missional? Well, you can't read the Bible for long before you pick up that God is a missional God. Uh, God um, has a purpose for the world. And you can't hang around churches for very long before you get the sense that Christians should be missional too. That is, in some way, God invites his people to come along with him and participate in his mission. So that means we've got two questions there. What is God's mission? What is our mission? God's mission is cosmic in scope. Nothing less than the redemption and renewal of all things. The redemption and renewal of all things by Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. God is committed to do nothing less than, through his son Jesus, uh, realize the total defeat and eradication of all evil sin, and death. Cosmic. So, that's God's mission. What is our mission? How do we participate in that? Well, our mission is to, through our words and in our deeds, through our whole lives, testify to that good news. To be living advertisements, signposts, to that reality. That God, by his grace, is not only about eradicating evil and rescuing the cosmos, but actually saving people from that very judgment, from that very eradication of sin, saving people through it so that they can live 
with him forever in that restored world so that they can experience in this present moment and also in the age to come, God's redemption and renewal. And he's done this, accomplished this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This mission is summed up in this one line from verse 1 in Psalm 105. And it's a line that's repeated many times throughout the Psalms. Make known among the nations what God has done. Make known among the nations what God has done. This psalm is, like all psalms, uh, a song, but not a song for a soloist. It's a song designed for a choir. This is a song for a whole community. In this moment, the, the whole nation of Israel to sing together. And so we've always believed that mission to make known among the nations what God has done is is a role for the whole community to play. We are all in it together. And so as a church, we have missional communities. The, the idea that, to make space for God's people to take seriously this call to mission. Now, um, it's very common then for mission, which you just talked about, and spirituality, which you just talked about, to not be talked about in the same sentence. It's really common for people to say, yes, they're two important things. Spirituality, absolutely, about growing God, I love that. And mission, yes, also very important, but not connected, really. Almost separated in some ways. In fact, in some places, you might find two entire different parts of departments of a church doing two different things. And there's pragmatic reasons for that. But actually, Psalm 105 won't let us divorce these two things. Won't let us. It wants us to connect them, intertwine them together. Let's look carefully at why. Uh, Verses 1 to 2, look. Give praise to the Lord. It's a spiritual thing, right? Spirituality. Praise. Make known among the nations what he has done. Missional. It's a missional thing, right? Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Spiritual. What we do on Sundays, we sing, yeah, spiritual. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Oh, that sounds kind of missional. So, even just within these first two verses, spirituality and missional living are intertwined. So, that means that actually, healthy spirituality is not just good for us as individuals and in growing us up in our faith, but it provides the motivation and power for mission. How exactly? Well, human beings are born evangelists, right? We actually love telling good news. Um, And that can be great, for example, when it's the discovery of a really, like, when you you find a really great GP, and you're like, oh, man, I've got to tell people about this. So you tell everyone on Facebook, go to this GP, they're great, they're caring, they're really nice, really thoughtful, take you through all the options. That's the kind of news people share, right? It can be less great in the example of, like, a pyramid scheme, and I grew up with friends in Amway. Do you remember that one? Yeah. You don't want to get cornered by an Amway consultant. Um, so, yeah, it can be not so good as well. But remember, spirituality is experiencing deeply within yourself the, that the good news of the gospel is truly good. And so, by nature, you want to tell others about it. It's not just about knowing that 
the gospel is good news. It's about experiencing the gospel as good. Uh, I read an article the other day about um, uh, Barnes & Noble, the bookstore in the U.S., which um, for years was on a massive downward spiral as a business, um, losing money, hemorrhaging money, fired a 1,000 staff during the pandemic full-time. Uh, and they got a new um, CEO, uh, I don't know, last year. Uh, and this guy had, before he was a CEO, had been a Barnes & Noble manager, and before that had owned his own bookstore in London. And so when this guy uh, came on as the CEO, the, one of the first things he did was he went into, he said to all the bookstores, I want every staff member to individually go through every book in the store. And if you think that that is a book that is valuable, worthy, it's great reading, keep it. And if you don't, chuck it. And that was a problem because, I don't know if you realize that bookstores get a lot of money from publishers for pushing very hard from the top front of their stores books that are not likely to do very well. Lesser quality materials, right? So he basically was saying to all these publishers and their money, no, we're not going to play ball with you anymore. What a bad business decision. Surely the money's going to go... Amazing thing happened. The good news story of the last of the pandemic. Barnes & Noble turned around. Its sales went, started going up. What happened? Well, here's what happened. People started going into Barnes & Noble stores and being um, served by customer service representatives, and they started to realize that the staff loved books, and they loved the books in their store. And it turns out that when you love something, you become really good at selling it, and people started buying it. You can read the article. Just search, um, do a Google search for it. I think it's so helpful because it says something about Christianity, about church. Um, the only way we will be fruitful on the mission that God has called us to is if we love the gospel. And the only way we'll love the gospel is if we experience it as good. The only, only if the grace of Jesus becomes precious, sweet, providential, Lovely. That's the only way we'll be successful. And so, spirituality and mission come together. Because how do you develop a love for the gospel? You've got to read the scriptures. You've got to immerse yourself in the story of God. You've got to gaze on Christ and look to him consistently and persistently. You've got to immerse yourself in the rhythms of the church. That's how you grow in love for the gospel. And you have to start seeing how grace makes a difference in your life. That's spirituality. That's how you grow in spirituality. What do we say in the Lord's Supper in our liturgy um, towards the end? You might remember this. We say, may we who share Christ's body live his risen life. May we who drink his cup bring life to others. May we whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. May we whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. We'll be lights to the world when we experience light within us. And so this year, we're going to commit ourselves as a church to building deeper lives of spiritual devotion to God. We'll connect spirituality and mission together. 
about missional spirituality doesn't happen just by accident or automatically. You know, the way God works in us is not just by making things magically appear, but he invites us to partner with him, to make decisions of our own free will that are healthy and good, that help grow us. He loves to work with us, not in spite of us. And so we must nurture our spirituality. And we must, and we must actually, yes, develop practices, habits. You see how the habits aren't the core, but they, they are a natural outworking of a life that's changed by the gospel. And so this year, we're going to focus on three spiritual habits um, that not only grow us spiritually, but fuel our mission. And they're not, you know, you could guess them. <laughs> we'll be immersed in God's story through reading scripture. We'll learn to trust in God's sovereignty through practicing Sabbath. And we'll learn to experience God's presence through prayer. Scripture, Sabbath, and prayer. And so what we're going to do is we'll spend um, a few weeks in February on Scripture. On Sundays, we're going to be working through how the Bible is uh, the story of God. It's something we have to be immersed in. Uh, and then later on in the year, we'll uh, have another three weeks on Sabbath. And then in October, we're going to go on our first retreat in like a million years. And we're going to do it on prayer. Even better. So, plenty of um, uh, details to come on all of that. Uh, now, you might ask, well, is that what we're going to do? Just sermons? Well, no, actually. Um, we are going to do gospel groups again this year. And the gospel groups are also going to track with this pattern. We're going to help us practice and form habits around Scripture, Sabbath, and prayer. And the reason for this is, is this, because uh, you can hear sermons all day long, every day, and I'm sure most of you do. Uh, but you probably won't actually transform your practices. It's just not how people work. What, what creates habits? We create habits by trying stuff out and doing it together and talking about and holding each other accountable. That's how we do it. So um, this year in our gospel groups, we're going to be focusing on learning and practicing these together. Scripture in February for the first five months, and then a few months on Sabbath and a few months on prayer. We'll start with Scripture, and we'll spend most of the time in that because the psalmist actually calls us to start in the Bible. He says, verse 4, Remember God's story. Remember his wonderful acts. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. And then the rest of the psalm is actually a retelling of the story of Genesis and Exodus from Jacob through Joseph and Moses. My hope is that by the end of the year, actually, we'll be so immersed in God's story and it will come and live in us so much that each one of us will look back to today and go, I would never want to be that person again. I've grown too much. I've developed too much. That person was fine, but I'd never want to be that person again because I'm so glad and thankful to God for who I am now. That would be my prayer and my hope. Uh, some of you have, are hearing this and are super excited and pumped. I can tell they're mostly over here. No. Uh, um, but some of you are thinking, oh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And the very thought of this, like doing new things, is triggering my weariness. 
You might be thinking, I can barely lift my head above water, let alone fixate myself and seek God's face. You might find that God is lost in a crowd of distractions and commitments and responsibilities. And I understand that, actually, because I've been there myself for the last three months. Um, So here's what I think we need to know now as I finish. Possibly the most important thing we could know out of this sermon, that we can only seek God's face because he first sought our faces. We can only look for God because he first looked for us. It often seems like we are the ones searching the crowd of faces for him, right, doing all the work, and he's kind of distant and waiting for us and going, oh, are they going to get there or not? But actually, far more than we know, God is the one who searches for us. He makes himself known to us. He makes himself stand out amongst everything and everyone else. He calls to us like a shepherd calls to the sheep. And the sheep hear his voice and recognize it. Jesus is the great shepherd who leaves the 99 to seek out the one lost sheep. I love remembering that while Jesus was hanging on the cross in agony, bearing an incredible pain, what did he do? He sought out the faces of his mother Mary and the disciple that we presume was John and comforted them in their agony <laughs> despite his own. That's the, that's the God we're dealing with. That's the Christ we're dealing with. No one can seek God's face, but God took on flesh and sought our face so that we could see his face. See how he's not distant, but has come close, who has given up his spirit to live within us. And so spirituality, even if the rest of it is overwhelming to you, it starts with at least this, starting to remember and contemplate how much it costs God to seek us out and that he has sought us. He's come close, come near. He's given us his love and grace. And now he's asking us to respond. Not a million percent. Start with one and go from there, bit by bit. And we'll do it together, family. We're going to pray. And then uh, I'm going to pray briefly and Kirsten's going to come up and continue to pray for us. Father, we thank you that you sought our face. You came close in Christ. And even in his agony, he, did, he went through it so that we might know him. So that actually we could look at Jesus because we can't see your face. We can't look on God and live. And yet we can look on Christ because he has come close to us, accommodated himself. And so, Father, we pray that this year you would teach us and develop in us a spirituality that flows out from our own hearts and our own benefit to the benefit of the world. Father, what you want to do for us, may you also do through us.